0: Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the Homo sapien. Welcome, dear humans, to another episode of Level Up Human Extra, where we delve into the news headlines of science and try and figure out how they might affect our species as a whole. I'm joined once again by our producer, it's Rachel Weely. Hello. Hey, Rich, how are you
3: doing today? I'm very good, thanks. Very excited about all the. New news about AI this week.
0: Why? What's so good about AI? Well,
3: you know how when you set up an account on a website it gives you a capture test. You have to read some numbers and letters that have been distorted and then type them in. And that proves that you're not a robot. Yes. Well, robots can do that now. Wow. So that's that's that gone as a as a sort of safety check.
0: Is this one step closer to Terminator?
3: Who would have thought that
0: this was the only barrier?
3: Basically, the idea was that you could be sure that a bot hadn't set up an account on your website before using this capture security check. But now there's a company called Vicarious in California who have uh, created uh, AI that can... Use visual cues to work out what a number or a letter is, even if it's distorted in the way that they do that.
0: Why are they proud of this? Why are they? <laughs> uh,
3: well, I suppose it's just a challenge, isn't it? If you create some kind of security check that AI can't beat, the AI people go, "Well, that's a gauntlet thrown to the ground." Yeah, and that that company can prove that they can do this, which means that they have advanced algorithms and maybe they get some more work it's already funded by jeff bezos and mark zuckerberg so they're doing all right but the interesting thing about capture is i thought it was just a stupid version of the word capture but actually it's an acronym so it stands for completely automated public turing test to tell computers and humans apart and this is a Turing test, no um, well, apparently, it's tell a our audience Turing. what Turing test is. well, Alan Turing said that if you could type to a computer and not be able to tell whether it was a computer or a person, then it isn't is intelligent. Was that it? Yeah, it's
0: kind of along the lines of if it looks like a human and it sounds like a human across the internet, then you should treat it like it is. So it's that kind of thing, I suppose, for
3: ah, so that's when you can't turn it off,
0: yeah. I think he's talking nonsense personally. I mean,
3: there are bots that I talk to on Facebook Messenger that could be human. I'm not asking them anything particularly difficult. Why? You know how sometimes when you're on a website for a company, it says, would you prefer to do a live chat with somebody rather than phoning us? Yeah. And I will always say yes, because that means I can do two things at once. Yes. And often those are not real people. They're just sort of bots. And they exist on Facebook Messenger now as well.
0: I don't like that.
3: No, but then I'm never asking them questions which are supposed to wheedle out whether they're human or not. I just go, can I have the pizza? I
0: suppose what's wrong with being served by a robot if the robot is good enough? If it's
3: got a pizza for me, I don't mind who's giving it to me. I'm I'm pretty happy. Google reckons that its capture test is so complicated that humans can only solve it 87% of the time in the first place. So... Yeah, I feel
0: I failed some of those tests, and I've often thought, right, is it the test or is it me?
3: Well, sometimes they distort them and place them over each other in such a way that you can't actually tell what letter or number it is. So, yeah. But isn't that technology also supposed to help with decoding books?
0: Why would you want to decode books? Don't they
3: use so if you scan a book and then you use those scans as capture tests, what you actually end up with are humans transcribing books for you over time. Computers did transcribing. I say? No, no, humans, because when they do the capture test, they translate it for you into letters and numbers on the keyboard. Wait a minute, so this is a citizen science thing. Yeah, I'm sure they've used capture tests for that before. So they are are also transcribing books using it.
0: So you can actually mix maybe a a capture test with some sort of machine learning thing as well.
3: Right, this is the practical implication of this company having created an, an AI that can do this, because presumably then you can also give this technology pages of you know ancient manuscript yeah to translate into digital copies
0: i don't need more books i've already got more than i will read in my well, lifetime you
3: don't but yeah. the human race might appreciate having copies of every book ever written
0: granted yes or, that, that's probably you know. arguably... it's not all about you simon <laughs> it's arguably the one good thing about the internet really isn't it
3: anyway i think this is a small interesting story but it's it's not, I don't think there's much this beyond isn't world this, changing. really. It's not, nah. So what is world changing? I don't have any more news stories. Well, I just have a a fish that was shown to me by somebody called Rebecca at the University of the Arts, London, which has human teeth. Actual human teeth? Well, or they look just like, look like human they teeth. They look like human teeth.
0: Okay, it's not hmm. that we've actually. That's not like the new stage in gene splicing. I don't, I don't think saying. so.
3: No, I think it's just that they look like they have human teeth and they have a penchant for chewing testicles.
0: What is this species? Paku. Oh, crap. I've seen it then. Yeah, they're horrible.
3: Mm. They have not... human teeth, I mean, They're pretty nasty. And uh, the official advice is keep your shorts tied.
0: There's a lot of things which look like they've human teeth. So one of the ugly animal, the ugly animal mascot for Edinburgh is a species which has become known as the gob-faced squid. Now, I, I love this because it's, we've only ever found one of them and it's only oh, well a couple of inches big. But it does appear to have It's only a couple of inches big. Yeah, it's a tiny little thing.
3: I've seen a picture of it and I didn't realise it was only a couple of inches big. But does it does look like it's, it's got a human
0: mouth, doesn't less it? Less
3: terrifying than I thought. Yes, that, yes, that is.
0: The thing is, there was teeth on the godface squid. They're not teeth, they're actually folds in its lips. It just looks like that. Oh. But it was so, uh, so rare it didn't even have a common name until Jen Harrison at one of our gigs uh, named it. And now it's in Wikipedia, so it must be true.
3: Oh, wow. So it's actually been named by the Ugly Animal Preservation Society. We are very proud of that. That's excellent.
0: Um, I've got a bit of news in terms of these things. Though. Like, I find what I reckon is a really cool robot in a new way that they're they're using robots in general, and it's all down to origami. So they're trying to figure out how you could fold soft robots up. So basically, you can get a robot, fold it up nice and neatly, put it into a pill, swallow the pill in your tummy, pill coating digests, and then it unfolds and can get to work. So by folding the machines up, we can put them into interesting places. Awesome! I love origami. Full stop. So it's it's fantastic what this is. So
3: they would have to be folded up by a machine, though, right?
0: Well, I guess this the whole idea is that their their shape is for a sort of sort of self folding, self assembly. It reminds me of sushi in the appearance, or like like somebody has has just wanted really compact bacon, and they've folded these things over and over again. So how big
3: are the robots? Well, teeny tiny.
0: But not so tinny tiny when they unfold. So, I guess they're flat is the key. And they must have something in them, which means that they are highly flexible and control their flexibility. It's almost like they've got lots of joints, I guess. Mm. But the hope is that you'll be able to do things like surgery uh, non invasively. You know, you can start surgery on a stomach or parts of the intestine without having to make those holes. In
3: your with a skin. robot with a camera, and it can start doing the surgery itself.
0: Ideally, yeah. Cool.
3: I reckon there's something
0: to this, actually. Like, origami seems to be coming more and more and more in science. I was at a conference uh, last year, and I met some origami experts, and it seems like such a strange job. that That's actually a thing now, but they're working with things like um, satellites to work out what's the most efficient and best way of Hmm. folding up your solar panels and... And what kind of bizarre shapes and how can you fit things into strange places?
3: That's cool. I had definitely written off, as soon as you said origami robots, I was thinking, well, origami is just for making paper swans, isn't it? It's not really, this isn't really science. But yeah, if if it can enable you to ingest a robot.
0: Origami seems to be getting all sorts of uses in science at the moment. Uh, So for a start, yeah, you're getting little robots like, like these kind of ones that were swallowable, which can effectively fold themselves up and then self assemble and walk around, carry loads, deliver things to bits of the body, and that kind of thing. Uh, you're getting it used in space telescopes. You're getting used for sort of zigzag materials. So, one of my favorite things I've come across this year was the, the uh, Dyson Design Prize. Uh, the London based designer Ryan Yasmin uh, won the Dyson Award this year with origami clothing. The idea being that you can put it onto your child and as they grow, the clothing will grow with them.
3: Ah, excellent.
0: So limiting waste, meaning that you don't have to buy more and more and more and more and more.
3: That's a brilliant idea. The origami is useful after all.
0: Uh, Here's a couple of quick examples. I was just looking up sort of cool designs of origami. Um, Stents. So uh, things which you put into heart valves to keep them open. Mm -hmm. So those effectively are bits of origami because they go in flat and then whenever you... Pull one bit, they sort of open out. Mm-hmm. You're also getting it used in uh, airbags. Mm-hmm. So, how to fold up an airbag efficiently? Yes. Tons of architecture as well. And yeah, it seems to be one of the, the big futures of, I guess, like nano implants, making things all to change shape. So, one of the places this has been used most at the moment is retinal implants, because there isn't much room in an eye. So, no. you're getting things to move around and stick down, stick them in flat, and let them do their work then.
3: So you put something into your eye and then it unfolds when it's in place.
0: Yeah. So in this case, Pellegrino is the name of the science. Sergio Pellegrino. He is building a sort of thing which is flat and therefore lower cost in manufacture. And it's got these folding techniques that you can then put it.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: D- dense array of electrodes right next to the retina, so you can transmit electrical signals to, uh, from a camera to an eyeball, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah, how cool is that? That's a door. That's awesome. How would you review origami fashion? Would you wear that?
3: That would just be embarrassing because I'm not going to grow. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I would just be wearing it and in a kind of desperate hope. It does suggest that I'm carrying myself around in my compressed form and that when I am full height, <laughs> I am very imposing and terrifying. But well, we're just having a look at this picture now of a kid wearing an origami suit, which kind of you could see that the kid will grow and the origami suit will get bigger. It's very stylish, actually. But yeah, good for kids, not so good for grown ups due to the fact that we've already grown.
0: I've got another cool story, I think, here, which is uh, a new type of tattoo, mm-hmm. and it's made from graphene.
3: Have you ever heard of graphene? Graphene is a way to arrange carbon atoms. Yes. In a flat form.
0: It is terrific. It is. It was widely hailed as going to be one of the new sort of super materials and one of those things that will change the world. It's the thinnest material on Earth. It's about a million times thinner than a human hair. It's the most conductive material we've ever found. So if you ever get to touch any of this stuff, it, it feels cold because it's just sucking the heat out of you. Mm. Um, but can you know because it's, it's thin and it's cool, well, thin and conductive and everything, you can send electricity along it. And they're trying to make tattoos from graphene. Uh, what? Well, the purpose of this is to have sort of effectively microelectronics. So you could have a tattoo which will monitor your pulse and your health and things, maybe like your blood sugar, you name it really.
3: And would it be removable?
0: Yeah. So, so far these ones, they look a little bit like the kind of, the tattoos you have, transfer tattoos you have when you're a kid and you want to look like you've got a tattoo, but don't.
3: <laughs> but your mum won't let you. But
0: your mum wouldn't let you.
3: Okay. So you you transfer on a graphene tattoo. Yeah. And then it acts as a Fitbit. That
0: That's kind of it. And hopefully things better than a Fitbit long-term. Like, if they could hook this up to Wi-Fi somehow, so if you have a heart attack, it knows, and it calls 999 for you. Oh, wow. That would be the long-term goal for these sort of things. Whether or not graphene tattoos will be the way to do that, or other sensors in the body, but having something so, so thin, a material like this, which can do so much, seems like a very good starting point. G- G- graphene, I think, is it's pretty incredible. It was a, invented by a guy called Andre Geim. He's the pioneer behind it. And I love him anyway because of some of his previous work. This was the first man to levitate a frog.
3: How did he do that?
0: Basically, he got a frog and some massive magnets. And because frogs are mostly water, he was able to sort of magnetize the water, so to speak.
3: Oh, and it floats around there. That's worth
0: YouTubing frog. later. If you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't tell if a frog was harmed in the Making That video
3: or not, but I don't think it was. And I, I don't know. Does well, it hurt bothered. to have all the water in your body magnetized? Um, probably doesn't. I, I don't know. But like, then we've never tried, so don't know.
0: <laughs> well, I suppose we're mostly water as well, so yeah. We're the next you could stage.
3: you could levitate a human by magnetising all the water inside one, probably.
0: Yeah, and is that something you want to try? Not on my kids. No, I'd never yet. get them back.
3: <laughs> They'd just be stuck to the fridge. Actually, though, we did have a, a suggestion for Level Up Human once to have magnetic kids that you could just stick on the fridge. And I think about that every now and then. I think it would be good. Just 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 to have them just out out of the way. I
0: like your key there is being able to make them opposite poles so that when they're fighting, they just can't actually (laughs) touch each other. That
3: would be excellent. I have a seven and a five-year-old boy at the moment. And you can't... You see, at the moment, you're going to keep them. It's not like well, I mean, they're going to develop into eight-year-old and six-year-old boys oh, eventually. Point. That's all I mean. But you know, they they fight all the time. They go back to being friends again very quickly. But when they are fighting, it's uh, quite nasty. So being able to spontaneously polarize all of the liquid in their bodies—just some kind of remote control—and suddenly they can't touch each other. Yeah, ideal.
0: I've got some news from Liverpool, which I think is going to be particularly pertinent for the next stage of humanity, as our lifespans increase and our lives change as a result. So in Liverpool, a 90-year-old woman has moved into the same care home as her son to help look after him. Her son is 80, and she is 98. And they've moved into the same care home. And according to the reports, he says
3: that she frequently still tells him off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so she's feeling quite kind of bright, and she's helping to look after him by moving into the same care home, but yeah. also maybe having a few things looked after for
0: her. I think they're both at the stage of needing a little bit of help, but I yeah. guess as our lifespans increase, this kind of thing is going to become more and more common. It
3: will be, won't it?
0: And I know we're bound to be one of those generations where... Or is it, is it dependent, I think, in terms of economics? Or you've mm-hmm. got people who aren't earning yes, and perhaps like, living with somebody else. So we might get to a stage where our parents are living with us, but also our grandparents and possibly our great-grandparents.
3: So they talk about the sandwich generation at the moment, which have people who have kids and the elderly relatives with needs as well. Yes. So we're going to have the club sandwich generation the next. club <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I, the 35-year-old person, are going to have my kids – my parents living with me, their parents living with me. That's as much as I can cope with. I can't even conceive of any more generations than that living in my house.
0: There must be something good about this, though, because you will have cross-generational wisdom.
3: The good thing will be that if you if you have elderly parents who have needs but are also actually quite mobile, they can do some of the childcare for you. Well, that's
0: an argument for evolution as to one of the reasons why old people exist. Full stop. Now that sounds like a really strange phrase, a bit like that. But one of the things that makes humans unusual, one of the more, one of the things which is more unique to us, I suppose, compared to other mammals, is a menopause, and that mm-hmm. would appear to be an evolutionary strategy to stop mothers dying, and that's deliberately to try and keep grandmothers around.
3: Right, to look after the kids. Well, to, to contribute
0: to it. And not only that, but they were libraries. So back in the day before Wikipedia, you wanted to have somebody who was old enough to remember the last time there was a famine and the last time there was a drought. And what was the berry that you eat when you're really desperate? Oh, yeah. And what's the route you take for this kind of migration? So having wisdom and experience. So partly to help with childcare, partly to help with knowledge. That was their big contribution to the tribe back then. And then the youngest generations, their contribution to the elders was to help keep them alive. But the reason why the menopause exists for this is, is specifically because giving birth to a human child is such a traumatic event that if you did keep having babies into your 80s, 90s, your chances of it killing you is much, much higher. And also that you're not going to be around long enough to help bring it up. As a, as a child, a human child takes so long to not be its own worst enemy. <laughs> Uh, you want to make sure that you're around long enough for that.
3: I can testify to that. They are definitely quite suicidal to start with.
0: Yeah. I hope it I hope it works out well. I hope our society adapts for it. And that we don't just leave generations of people hung out to dry, so to speak.
3: Care is going to have to be less expensive.
0: There's, there's lots of research. There's been a couple of places. I think it's in Denmark where they're opening up villages and places where student accommodation is. And students can have a slightly reduced rent if they live with people in these care homes.
3: Ah, oh, and help out.
0: Well, it's not just helping out. It appears to even just be the social aspect of, of conversation and new blood and new people has a major medical effect on the elderly in these regions. It keeps That's them a bit idea. sharper and yeah. it also benefits the, the young people. These are These are two separate generations who both complain of loneliness. Quite a bit, and this seems to be a genuine cure for it.
3: Living together and having conversations. I mean, it'll never catch on.
0: <laughs> I sound like such a hippie whenever I talk about these things. But like, that's not a tech answer, is it? That's an answer where we've just decided to do something about it. That's
3: just society being smart. It makes sense to incentivize people to do that. Okay, are we done for this episode of Level Up Human Extra Simon? I think we are. I've okay. got anything to plug, is it? Right, I have nothing to plug at the moment. I'm simply cruising towards Christmas at this point. How about you? <laughs> Already cruising towards yeah, Christmas, even at this point.
0: No, nothing to plug at this moment, but there will be soon. So, uh, see you listeners. Check out their more live episodes that are coming up. We're just back from Cork, and that will be available to listen to soon. That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheelie, and supported by the Welcome Trust. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com.
1: Okay, Gregory, we need to do a little commercial to advertise our podcast. Uh, what should we say? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. No, no, not that. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I don't want another letter of complaint. Shut up, Darren. I didn't ask you. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. Um, Hello, my name is Eric Lampert. I do a podcast called Topical Island, either alone or with a guest, and with the sentient animals living on my imaginary island, we dissect the topic to the best of our ability. Science, history, literature, any sort of nonsense, Topical Island is the perfect destination to get away from reality. Uh, So find us on Apple, iTunes, or SoundCloud. That'll do, right? Yeah. (laughs) Good one. Oh shit, Naomi found us. Let's get out of here. Uh, Yeah, find us on iTunes and shit.
2: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.